We're in Acts chapter 13. We're going to start at verse 6 and read through verse 12. It says, The two of them, and this would be Paul and Barnabas, or Saul and Barnabas, he's going to change his name right now, set on their way, oh, I'm sorry, that's verse 4, sorry, verse 6, because John Mark's with them now. They, that's including Paul, Barnabas, and John Mark, traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. There they met a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bar-Jesus, which means son of Jesus. But it wasn't referencing to Jesus Christ, who we know. But sorcerer named Bar-Jesus, who was an attendant to the pro, of the proconsul Sergius Paulus. The proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Bar- Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elimaeus, the sorcerer, for that is what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked, spirits, looked straight at Elimaeus and said, You are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? How do you really feel, Paul? Now, the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind, and for a time, you will be unable to see the light of the sun. Immediately, mist and darkness came over him, and he groped about seeking someone to lead him by the hand. And when the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. Last week, we looked at how our lives can be like Christ. Okay. You with me? All right. I don't know how to make it stop. So last week, we talked about how we can be like Christ and live lives that are examples of who Jesus is. And this morning, it's a little different. We're going to be looking at lives that can prevent people from seeing Christ. You know, it says here that as they were traveling on this island of Cyprus, they were traveling and basically the, the proconsul or the governor of this island heard about Paul and Barnabas. And so he sent for them no doubt that they were having an effect on all the people in the island as they were everywhere they went. People were coming to this realization of who Jesus was and were having faith in God and believing in God's forgiveness and mercy, and it was changing lives. We talked about last week how those lives that were changed were then seen as little Christ. They were called Christians. And so now, no doubt... This governor of Cyprus, the proconsul, heard about these things. And as he heard about them, he sent for Barnabas and Paul. And it says that he was an intelligent man in verse 7. And so you're wondering, well, if he was an intelligent man, why is it that he had this other guy with him, this Bar-Jesus, this Elimaeus, this sorcerer, If he was so intelligent, why would he have a guy like this? And and the idea of sorcerer here isn't like, 
you know, the Mickey Mouse cartoon of the Sorcerer's Apprentice, you know, the pointy hat thing and the magic wand. That's not what it's referring to. It's kind of a, a wise man, a person who would be into the stars and who would have knowledge of a lot of different events that take place. It was definitely dealing with some dark things, but it wasn't, you know, magic wand kind of things. The, the magi were considered in this well this vein. And also Daniel, when he was brought in to Babylon, they brought all these people and he was kind of one of those people that they would go to and ask advice for. And so this was one of the people, but he was definitely not a good guy. So why would an intelligent man get someone who isn't that good? But you know, it shouldn't surprise us because people of intelligence make a lot of foolish choices at times. People who are, are very affluent or very prominent can make dumb decisions. Back in 1957, the number one beer company in the world was Schlitz. And you're saying, what does this have to do with anything? Well, after 1957, Budweiser became the prominent company. And so as that became the vein throughout the 50s and into the 70s, Eulene, the CEO and owner of Schlitz, wanted to make some changes to try and up his company. And so what he did was he changed the way the beer was made. Instead of using all the barley and, and ingredients that they used to use, what he started to do was put corn syrup in there. And he changed the ingredients so that it would be able to process a lot quicker. So instead of it taking 40 days for the beer to ferment, he could do it in 15 days. And it was much cheaper. And he put the beer out there and it made a lot of money at the beginning. But there was a problem. The new formula, when it would encounter different temperatures, would start to solidify and kind of coagulate. And it would leave this kind of muck at the bottom that resembled mucus. And so what they did is they called, they started giving it the name of snot beer. And he ignored it for as long as he could, but finally sales started plummeting so low that they had to go and bring back in 10 million bottles and cans of beer on the wall. 10 million bottles of cans of beer. And they never recovered from that. And in fact, in 1981, they had to close down. The mayor of Milwaukee at the time, he, he likened this to the Titanic. He said, never has he seen something so big go down so quickly. And so this man, Euline, or whatever, however you, yeah, it's U-I-H-L-E-I-N, however you pronounce that, Euline, the head of Schlitz Malt Liquor, the number two selling beer in the United States at the time, in 30 years plummeted his company into ruin. It wasn't very wise. Not a, not a very good decision. But you see, sometimes people in prominent places make foolish decisions. Sometimes we make foolish decisions. 
Sometimes we engage ourselves in the wrong way, in the wrong place, with the wrong people, and it affects us in the wrong way. And so this man, the proconsul, was involved with someone who was actually steering him the wrong way, was actually deterring him in the wrong way. And so though Sergius Paulus, his title, governor over this island, was an intelligent man, he had in his cabinet, or whatever you'd call it, some pretty unintelligent or not wise or not prudent people. And we see that this sorcerer actually tried to steer him from the faith when he wanted to hear the word of God. He wanted to hear the message of Jesus. This man tried to steer him away from that. And we have to realize that the people we hang out with affect us. That's why the Psalms say, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. Now, this does not mean you don't have friends who aren't believers. That's not what this means. Who do you get counsel from? Who are you walking? Who are you sitting? Who, is, who are the people who are counseling you? Because this has nothing to do with about having friends. This is about having influence. Who influences your life? Is it good influence or is it bad influence? Because we all are susceptible to people. We act like the people we hang out with. High school's great. You go to high school and, and you can see the groups of people. I haven't been there in years, but from what they tell me. You know, the, the rockers, I could see them walking after school. They're all hanging together. They all got the long hair. They all walk like this, you know? And there's a lot of different groups of people, and they kind of coagulate together. They hang together because they have things in common. They like the same music. They like the same clothing. They like the same entertainment. They're involved with the same things, and so they naturally hang together. Well, those things affect us. You hang around someone who, who likes a certain style of music and it can start to affect you. Pretty soon you're in the car and you're humming the song. It's like, oh my gosh, that's country. What happened to me? You know, it's like, oh no, you know, go take a shower real quick and, and try and fix this, you know. Don't complain to me, all you who like country. But these things affect us, and we need to be careful what alliances we make to get counsel from. The people who we allow to influence our life in this way, we need to be wise. Because whether we admit it or not, they affect our lives. And sometimes in dramatic ways. When I was in fifth grade, I went to a YMCA camp. I don't remember all the details. I just remember going to, to camp. And a friend of mine went with me, and so it was kind of cool. I had my friend. His name was Brett. Brett and I went to YMCA camp, and we would meet at this park with other schools that would come in buses. They'd bus us to this park, and we'd 
there was like a, a recreation center and we'd play at the park and I think it was like babysitting for the summer or something like that. So we went there and Brett and I would go to this park and there was this other kid named Paul. Paul was a big bully. And he was older than Brett and I and he enjoyed picking on Brett and I. For some reason I had that big bullseye on my chest, you know, said him, you know, and this guy Paul would just start harassing us. And so Brett and I got this idea. There was a guy at our school who was a bully. His name was Nigel. <laughs> Nigel reminded me of Hitler, but without the mustache. I don't know why. And so Brett and I thought, well, maybe we can get Nigel to come, and Nigel will take care of Paul. We'll make an alliance with Nigel, which was a scary thing. And so we talked to Nigel and got him to come to YMCA camp, and we were telling him all about this kid, Paul, who was a bully, because we know it would be a challenge for Nigel, because he's the big bully at our school. You know, he's going to take care of the big bully at our, this guy, and then Brett and I can just go have fun and let these guys battle it out. And so there we are on the bus, and I remember it so clearly. We're pulling up in the bus, and as we pull up in the bus, we park in this one place, and we're sitting there, and we look out, and then another bus pulls up right next to us, and there he is. Is Paul. In front of us was Nigel. And Paul looks over at us and he looks and you see him and he goes, Nigel! And, and Nigel looks at him and goes, Paul! And Brett and I look at each other and go, ah. And sure enough, Nigel and Paul were best friends from, I don't know, bully school or whatever they went to. And the rest of the week was just torturous. Now there was two of them after us. And we had to split up for survival and we had to, to go our way. Never make an alliance with someone who reminds you of Hitler. We involved ourselves with the wrong person and it had the wrong results. And that's so true of our lives so many times. We, we, we get plugged in and we get committed and we get involved and sometimes it's like poison to our souls. Because you care about these people, you care about their advice, you care about their counsel, but if their counsel isn't good, then it's not good for you. And as... This man, Elimaeus, the sorcerer, saw that the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, wanted to hear the word of God, it says in verse 7. Then he opposed them. You see, because if his boss gets connected to God, it's going to affect his life. It's going to affect his position. It's going to affect how his relationship is seen because Elimaeus means enlightened one. And if he's not thought of as the enlightened one, then he's going to plummet in status just like Schlitz beer did in sales. And so he went to oppose them because it would affect him. And I've seen this happen in my life and others' lives. 
where people want to detour someone from committing themselves more fully to Christ because it will affect their relationship. If you get serious with God, we're going to stop having sex, aren't we? If you get serious with God, you're, you're not going to be parting like we do, and then I'm going to have to you know, find someone else. If you get serious with God, how is that going to affect me if I don't get serious with God? And, and so there is a trying to, to put it away, like, hey, man, don't do that. That's stupid. Come on. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. And trying to encourage a behavior that is going to keep you from something that is beneficial to you. And we need to be careful of that. Well, how, how does God feel about that? Well, Paul's pretty blunt here. As he looked at him and he, he filled with the Holy Spirit, that's an interesting term that comes right before you child of the devil, enemy of everything that is right. And then pronouncing blindness to him. Jesus said, woe to those who would offend a little one. It would be better if a millstone was around their neck and they were dropped into the sea. Woe to you. Anyone who would hinder someone from coming to me, ah, that's serious. What we're talking about is wholeness of life. What we're talking about is wholeness for life for not just the future, which is obvious how that would affect the future, but wholeness of life for eternity. And woe to someone who would stop that. It's not taken lightly by God. And it's interesting that the judgment that comes on Elimaeus, the sorcerer, is the same judgment that fell on Paul when he was on the way to Damascus to persecute the church. When he was heading there to do the same thing, to hinder the work of God, he was struck with blindness. And now here he is, the one pronouncing blindness. Just like God pronounced to him, he is pronouncing to this man who is also hindering the work of God. Now, we don't know what happened to the sorcerer. It doesn't tell us. We know what happened to Paul. He changed his mind. And so we see this judgment isn't just like, I'm going to get you. It's what it did to Paul is it made him three days he was blind and he had to think about what he was doing. He had to have time to change his life and make a decision. And as he made that decision, as he had to think about where he was really at, he said, okay, I'm going to surrender my life and do what God wants me to do. The, the, my creator, I'm going to surrender my life to him. And we see that Sergius Paulus does the same thing because in the last verse here it says that he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. He, he made a decision to hear this teaching and was amazed, the teaching about the, the grace and mercy of God through the person of Jesus Christ. He was amazed with that. He never thought of God in this way. He never understood that you could connect to God in this way. What an amazing thing. And God's point was to bring this man into this place, and God's desire was to do the same thing with Sergius Paulus, Elimaeus, just like he did with Paul. Sometimes we have to sit in darkness, 
before we will see the light. It was interesting, a friend of my daughter's the other day, about a week ago, for some reason she said, I remember this thing that I shared years ago. For some reason it just stuck in her head. It was people will not change until the pain of remaining the same exceeds the pain of the change. She remembered that. I don't know. Maybe she had a rhyme in her head or whatever. It just stuck in her mind. And years later, she goes, I remember that thing you said. I was thinking about it the other day. And this was years ago, just out of the blue. Boom! You know, light bulb comes on. I remember that thing. The pain of change. We will not change until the pain of remaining the same is exceeded by the pain of change. Something like that. We're not going to change unless it's painful to stay the same. That can be a scary thing. Staying the same can take you to pretty, pretty low lengths. It can cost you a lot. It would be better to be blind. Jesus put it this way. It would be better if you plucked your eye out and went to heaven blind than be see and separated from God for eternity. There's a priority here. There's, there's a, a setting that priority and understanding the bigger picture of what your and my life is about. What God wants us to understand is the importance of who he is. And this little vignette story here that we see of a man trying to oppose that tells us how God thinks of those who oppose it. Tells us about those people that we involve our life with who will oppose our moving forward in our faith. But let me ask you this, because sometimes we are the people who oppose others. Sometimes we're the ones who say, hey, let's go do this, that it's going to drag someone away from what is right, what is true. Sometimes we are the people that are saying, hey, let's do this or let's stop this from taking place. And I want us to understand the danger in that place too. It's not always the other guy. Sometimes it's me. Sometimes it's my attitude that blocks someone from seeing Jesus. Sometimes it's my attitude or my lifestyle that wants to pull someone away from living a life that's going to be whole and good. And I want you to know, not because I'm trying to condemn you or judge you, I want you to know the danger that is there. There is judgment pronounced on you and you will be blind to the truth. It would be better if a rock was around your neck and you were plummeted into the sea. God is not saying that because he wants to get you. God is saying that to us to wake us up. To say, where are you? What is important? What are the priorities in your life? Because if you're not concerned about the things of God and only the things that advance your pleasure, your lifestyle, your success, if it's all about you and not about God, and you don't care what you do to accomplish that, then you're in danger. You're like Elimaeus, the sorcerer. 
And basically, these words of Paul would apply to us. We are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. All kinds of deceit and trickery. Oh, come on, that's a little heavy, isn't it? A child of the devil? Enemy of everything that is right? Come on. Maybe not some of the things, but not everything. That's a little tough, isn't it? Jesus put it this way. If you're not for me, you're against me. There's some clear lines that God wants to, to put in our lives and establish. And this is... This is the rub of Christianity. This is, this is the difficult thing because God doesn't allow us to slide on some things. He doesn't want us to, well, okay, you know, he's not the, the grandfather in heaven that says, come on, come on, sneak in. We'd like that benevolent grandfather to just say it's okay to wink at those things and say, don't worry about it. I won't tell your parents you broke the window. We would like that, but we don't have a benevolent grandfather. We have someone who cares a lot more. I said it before. It's one of my favorite quotes from C.S. Lewis. God will help us to be holy, but he won't help us to be anything less. And the reason is this, is because holiness is wholeness. God wants you to be perfect, why? Because he, he, he was a, you know, he's just a mean guy. He's a drill sergeant. No, because that's the only place you can be complete. He wants you to be whole. And he will work your way there. He's not going to leave you stranded somewhere less because that is less for you as well as for God. That's what you were created to be. And unless you are there, you are missing what you were created to be. And then you find yourself at enmity with God. I don't want to be that. I want to be here. God says, I can't leave you here. That's not where you were meant to be. And so he works on us. And sometimes it's frustrating. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes I don't want to go there. I'm comfortable with my life. Thank you very much, God. Just can you leave? give me some space? Give me some space. And he says, I can't. I can't give you space that is going to be detrimental to you. Don't you understand? The counsel that you're getting, it's going to destroy you. It is going to lead you to hell. I can't. I won't be silent while my kids are destroyed. I will not do it. It costs me too much to help you to see how much I care and want what's right for you. I will not be quiet. I will not. And we shouldn't either. When we see the wrong, we need to, in the love of God, say, hey, please, don't, don't do that. God, God has more for you. Not as judges, not as condemning people, as people who can identify, because we're all in the same boat. We've all been this person at one point or another. We've all made deals with Nigel at some time in our life and come to regret it. We all have. And so we need to together 
try and hold each other and move each other towards holiness. Not religiousness. Relationship with God that connects with our life, that changes our life, that allows us to be what he's created us to be. Who are we? In this story, who are we? Are we a Saul, a Barnabas? Are we the Sergius Paulus? Someone who is getting counsel from wrong people and having the knowledge of what is right but still making decisions that aren't always right? Or are we Elimaeus? Blocking people from making the right choices. Who are we? Proverbs 13.20 says, He who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. Don't suffer. Don't suffer harm. Don't get counsel that is not going to make you whole. Make the right decisions and help people to see the right decisions. So not only is your life going to be better, those around you will be better too. That's what God wants, is you to be better, me to be better. He wants us to be complete. He wants us to be whole. He doesn't want us to be bored. He doesn't want us to be bummed out. He doesn't want us to be stupid, whatever you know, thoughts come in. He wants us to be complete. And he knows all your quirks. And he knows all the things that you're good at. He's put those in you. And he wants to make those blossom and flourish. He wants to use all those things that are inside of you that are waiting to just burst out. He's put that in you. you just got to make the right decisions so that they can be in the right soil and grow. Just like a seed and a soil are meant to go together, so is the word of God in our hearts. They're meant to go together because it is the soil that causes us to grow. Allow God's word to grow in your life and in your heart so that you can be an example to those around you. Be careful who you get counsel from and be careful how you counsel others and make the right decisions to listen to the word of God. Let's pray. Father, you tell us that faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word of Christ. Father, we we want to be able to hear that message, to have faith in you and trust in you. And I pray that you would enlighten our hearts to see where we are at in our relationship with you. If we are a detriment or an asset to you, if we are helpful or or a hindrance. And Lord, may you reveal that to us now so that we can see and not be blinded. May we have the wisdom to make the right decision. The one that benefits our life, not just temporarily, but throughout this life and and through eternity. 
I pray that change takes place in each of us, Lord. That we would not negotiate with things that are going to be detrimental to us. But may we surrender to you. And God, surrender is such a... uh, It's not an appealing word. No one likes to surrender. We like to be victorious, but... Lord, this is how victory comes in you, is when we lose our life, we gain it. When we serve others, we are more blessed. Lord, this is your way. This is how you have ordered the universe and life in it. And so may we surrender to that, Lord, and allow you to work in our lives. We're going to be singing a song, and I pray that if God has spoken to you through these things here, that you would allow your heart to commune with his, to to communicate with his, to be able to open up and surrender to God the things that you need to and allow his work to continue in your heart. Let's sing. I'm giving you my that is within I lay it all down for the sake of you my King I'm giving you my dreams I'm laying down my rights I'm giving up my pride for the promise of
God, I pray that we would not be poisoned by people or poison people, but we would surrender to you, and Lord, you alone have the antidote for our need, Lord, the cure for our sin. And so we do surrender to you, Lord. We, we come to you and desire what you have, and only you can give. Lord, there is corruption within us. And we need help. And Lord, we thank you that you are that help. You are a present help in our time of need. And we thank you that your arms are open, that you receive us wherever we're at. If we will turn to you, you will come running. Lord, you will, you will take every step that is necessary to reach us, but that last one that we have to make. And I pray, Lord, that everyone here this morning would make that step towards you and that you would meet us right there. Thank you, God, for your unfailing love, for your mercy that endures forever, for your love that is better than life. God, may we not come short of the things that you desire, for they are good. Thank you again, Lord. May these things be revealed to us as we leave here. May you work deeper in us. We pray and ask in Jesus' name.